How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 201. I think for this new set of episodes, Zeke, mm-hmm. I want to be referred to as the Jakeinator 3000. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a name. I, I, yeah, it's, it's a, we're in the two hundred episodes. Is it a good one? Call the Jakeinator three thousand. Yeah, if it wanted to change it up, spice it up. Yeah, is this uh, the spiritual sequel to Have a Coffee with Jake? Hmm, it's not a bad idea. But you actually. like and said you Jakeinate people. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you what <laughs> what you think that means. It's I don't even want to know. And I am the Jakeinator three thousand. Yes, I don't, that's not gonna stick, is it? Formerly known as Jake Diagrella. Yeah, formerly known as. Yeah. How That's are you, okay. Jake? That's Apparently, okay. oh, sorry, Jake and Ada 3000. How oh, are you thank doing? You. It's going to stick. I promise. Uh, dude, it's been one of those days. Oh, so tired. <laughs> <It's just easy laughs> we are both so exhausted right now. I reckon this is the tiredest I've been on an episode since, I want to say Whiplash when we had Steven on and I was like, oh my God, that was... That was that was early morning though. I think most of the times that we're really tired doing an episode is because we're up early. Yeah. I think was it Animal Kingdom? Yeah. That was tiring because that was actually on your birthday. Mm-hmm. You of course had your birthday a few days ago. I did. I did. Which is why you're so exhausted. Much yeah. like Martin Scorsese and his. He did. Ago. Yeah. Um, I was watching some B-roll of him directing on The Irishman. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Great that was a really good birthday. Yeah. Um, I do feel old. I don't think I've been this like achy and sore ever. Yeah. Like, I feel like I've ran, like, a game of football, except I haven't played a game of football in, like, three years, so. You're a ref, though. Yes. Yes, and I'm here to talk about movies, TV shows, docuseries. Oh, my goodness. You name it. This man is on a mission. He's on a mission to cover all the bases. Yeah. Before we jump Mm. across... Across the pond. uh, This episode's Battlefield. Um, Battlefield. (laughs) Battle. Remember that song? Jake, do you have any trivia for me? I do. I do. We're not making light of of war, are we, Zeke? No. We really shouldn't be. On our episode of um, film, very excited to talk about it. All Quiet on the Western Front, which the name, of course, comes from the twenty, uh, sorry, the 1928 novel of the same name by Erish uh, Maria Miraki. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably butchering that name. It's probably a German name, and the literal German language, or the translation of the language, comes from nothing new in the West. Uh, and the phrase can mean, in a more general sense, stagnation, lack of change, which is something I think the ending of the book and the ending of the 2022 version makes clear where that name derives from. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for what sure. about you, Z? What's your fun fact about this film? Well, it's really interesting. You've already brought up the 1930 version of yes. this film, but would you believe it? This is not the first remake of that 1930 film. No, it is not. It is indeed the second, obviously the lesser-known version, by uh, Delbert Martin. All Quiet on the Western Front in 1979, mm, which... TV movie or TV, TV mini-series, something along those lines. It's interesting. It's a brave subject matter to tackle, mm. even, obviously, after the fact. This is, what, 92 years removed yeah. from the original film. Yeah. Um, we'll, Long time we'll, ago. Yeah, we'll explore if the vast developments in technology over 92 years have mm. led, and even budgetary um Restrictions has have led to a better final product than its original. Ooh, a little uh, teaser there. Well, I mean, that leads right into the question. There's a poster behind you. 1,100 films you must watch at least once in your lifetime. Got that out real quick. Now, 
before I ask you, of course, this film is far too new, the 2022 adaptation mm. we're about to talk about. So it's not on the poster. I will, before I ask you whether it should be on the poster, I ask, do you think the original 1931 is on the poster? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. It absolutely is. I think when you think that sound in cinema had only been introduced not two years earlier. Yeah, one of the first talkies probably ever. It's truly wild mm. that, um, you know, especially when we compare it to something like King Kong, which right. I, I love bringing up the two because they're both 1930 films. And I just think, obviously, one really shows where the script art can go mm. and then the other one's showing where the animation get the technological developments we can use with the moving picture right. um the visual go. effects side yeah, of things visual yeah. effects side of things so would i put the 2022 version up it's mm. probably your follow-up question i probably wouldn't um mm. simply and look it's going to be really good to divert because they do actually take slightly different directions they do In- there's there's very distinct differences between the two some I really, really appreciate and it works really well in a modern sense. The fact that, like you said, cinema, from a technical standpoint, just from the standpoint of, of creators and, and artists learning how to utilize the medium mm-hmm. to the best effect, there's a lot of great stuff in there. But much like most remakes I found, and I, I wouldn't even call this a remake because this is another adaptation of the book. Yeah. Um, but, you know, directing, comparely directing it to the... Compare, no, directly comparing. My good. See, I today's not our day, Z. But the, rea- the, it's the reality know. is, you know, I feel like when you've got eleven hundred films, why would you want two covering the same subject matter? Now, that does. You know, we've talked about adaptations, copying. Yeah. We've talked about all of the sort of where all of those sit and where does the art start and where does it stop. But uh, this is not a bad film. I just don't. God no. It, no. I think that when you're talking about the horrors of war and um, even in recent memory, there have been other films that arguably didn't do it better, but provided something different and unique that allowed mm. you to um, really capitalise on, on how potent and powerful the, yeah. the subject matter is. I think as a subgenre, we won't get into what the subgenre is, but in terms of a war film and what it does different from other war films, does it do what the 1930 version does better? And I mean, the answer is a lot trickier than just yes or no. Mm-hmm. But much like Cape Fear, mm-hmm. West Side Story, these films, I've seen both versions of those, um, lack of a better word, IP. It's like, Cousin Greg, I'm not familiar with that IP. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best lines in succession. Um, the answer is, there's a lot of things I like from both that I wish I could have meshed together into one 100%. thing. But we can get... Further into that later in the show. For sure. But before we jump into that, Jake, what have you caught in the last week? Well, other than these two films, All Quiet on the Western Front, the, the original and the new one, I really haven't watched much. I've been binging YouTube clips of Dragon's Den, which is like the British Shark Tank. Okay. Where um, I had an odyssey with mm. this show because you, I think what it is, and for those who don't know, it's about it's basically your typical reality show where you have like your judges and in this case it's like five, four or five investors, investors, multi-million dollar investors and you have your entrepreneur come in and they're sort of put on the stage with the spotlights on so they're all sweating because mm. of the lights and genius little producer moment right there and they have to pitch their business idea and, and mm. I think 
the reason I went through such an odyssey from absolutely loving and devouring these clips to being unable to watch it was to do with the the personalities of the you know quote unquote the mm-hmm. judges the investors like you said um because you start by watching the most higher rated YouTube videos where it's pyramid schemers and people who are so unprepared to pitch business plans and don't know what simple business terms mean and they kind of get caught with their tail between their legs and it's so fun to watch until you start binging more clips and realize oh they're kind of just assholes to everyone mm-hmm. not just the people who kind of deserve it a bit yeah and i uh, it really i completely 180 in like a 24 hour span it was incredible zeke never had anything no. quite like it that's fair that's fair clearly yeah. uh residual from your succession watching has carried over to the real world <laughs> see that's what it's like yeah i think succession i mean it's obviously fictional mm-hmm. based on real obviously the, yeah. you know the murder family and everything so there's a lot of reality in succession but i think because it walks that line of you're not really meant to like any of these characters you could find the things they say hilarious but I think what really bugged me for the drags, the final straw for me was when I watched the videos of the people who did pitches to them, got rejected, humiliated on live TV, and then went on to make millions of dollars using that same product, which I watched that being like, yes, they get to stick it to them. You know, they're like, well, look, I did make Mm. millions on my product. And all the investors are like, nah, still not good enough. You know, I'm not impressed. I'm like, okay, screw you. Like, What's there to like about you anymore if yeah. you can't be humble in the most? It's often, in this it's case. often um, with those shows, they're not super rich. They're like, in terms of the. Sure. They're not at the succession level of, no. of the 1%. Well, just to bridge in from you, Jake, mm. sounds a lot like capitalism. <laughs> and. It does. <laughs> it does sound like capitalism. The free market. And of course, <laughs> I decided to take a dip into Michael Moore's capitalism a love story oh very good um now look i don't know where you sit where do you sit with michael moore jake um i think we talked about this not too long i feel maybe it was a year or two ago yes, when i watched he's a man yet to get Fahrenheit a dire- films yeah, yet to get a director's corner on here bowling for Co- that's not a bad director's corner we could yeah. even do it for 205 but i remember I mean, for at the time, those films that I watched, um, you know, those Fahrenheit films and Bowling for Columbine and all that, I understand why they had the the impact that they did and the in-your-face mm. strategy that he goes about in mm. his documentaries. And it's something that now, like, any old YouTube video can be that well-produced and, like, source all these different clips together mm-hmm. and really make a strong, strong in-your-face argument, mm-hmm. uh, political argument, or, or thereafter. Um, so I understand why they were so important in context. I don't have any specific beef with him. I think what he does is like, well, that that's it's for the product. It's for the film. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much he's like this in... You know, I'm I'm quite well removed from it. So I don't, I don't have any strong opinion, is my mm-hmm. probably my answer to your question. Yeah. And obviously, Capitalism is a 2009 film, so this is mm. now 12 years removed from Bowling for Columbine, mm. which I think was a 97 release. Uh, might have been 99, but a considerable time. Michael Moore is an established documentarian. His style at this point is is well known among the American populace. And of sure. course, 
capitalism seeks to sort of at the time obviously 2009 talk about the effects of the global financial crisis mm. and basically the setup of a um society in which the one percent rule over the 99 and, sure. and you know obviously bridges into this sort of discussion of succession and shark tank and basically how all of these political reforms under particularly the clinton and bush administrations obviously led very similar to what obviously mckay does with um the big short sort right. of explaining that the housing bubble the burst point and this this fact that um, people are getting kicked out of their houses and the house is being resold. Mm. Um, and people, some people are making more money while other people are really pushing themselves into poverty. And So this film's a direct commentary on, on the housing market crash? Yeah. It's, yeah it That's actually, cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that. It, it does definitely do a little bit. I think it focuses more on actually capitalism as a concept. A okay. concept. Yeah. But a concept okay. in, in an American context. Basically how what was once a really beneficial societally mm. beneficial idea was warped through greed and and corporate uh, agendas and this is kind of you know look we, we've talked a little bit about like with eat the rich sort of similar things yep. with the stock market and how it's you know having people like some people having significantly more advantage manipulating the market mm. stuff that benefits obviously the white collar and obviously a lot of the white collar felonies, which, you know, this will be a common theme of the things I watched this week. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I like that. Uh, the the white collar crimes by manipulating the everyman. But um, really interesting because the, the film's good. I don't think it's as potent as obviously Columbine. I think the subject matter is a little bit more broad. Yeah, it sounds more broad. Because yeah. he's he starts doing very bombastic stunts towards the last 15, 20 minutes that are they're not serious. And I know that it's this whole like satire, self-awareness. Like he goes to these corporation buildings and he's like, I want to make a citizen arrest of your board of CEOs. Right. And it's like, I get it. He's sort of like being like, Oh, let's start the revolution. The poor start the revolution. But yeah, I even think something like eat the rich covers that subject matter kind of better okay. where you've got, yeah. you know, you, you get introduced to all these everyday people well, the thing you know, is, to eat, eat the rich, and we're talking about the Netflix doco series here. Like, that's about a very specific event. Yeah. That's about something that happened over a very short amount of time, and much more recently, sure. Yeah. But like you said, it's like just the idea of capitalism. Period. It is yeah. <laughs> very broad, and yeah, he's obviously pointing to certain companies, certain individuals, and be like, "I'm yeah. going to personalize this concept through you. You're you're the representation of this. Mm-hmm. Understand that." But then, yeah, it's no different from him going to Charlton Heston's house. Talk about you know his uh, pro gun stance or mm. or him going to was it like Kmart or Walmart yeah. and making them to stop sell bullets that was slightly different because they did sort of it's like oh it actually looked like it kind of worked in that scenario yeah that you convinced them to stop selling bullets Whereas but you're this, right otherwise it's a stunt yeah at this point it definitely you know then there are a lot of people that just won't talk to him a yeah. lot of these like and then it's sort of the confusing nature of the New York Stock Exchange, the fact that governments bailed them out when the GFC hit, but didn't bail out the common the common yep. person. And they're yep. talking about sort of certain strikes. And he does allude to, oh, well, when Obama came in, this, this man intended well, which retrospectively were like, well, I don't know how much he actually did in that mm. time. I'm not obviously fully caught up with US politics and policy making but to my knowledge why not uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> how dare you Zeke 
you know, when we can, we, can, we all know what came after that. You know, you got the Trump administration, now the Biden administration. So that was really, look, it was interesting enough. I th- I think his doco's going a little long too. It was like two hours five and I thought it could be a mm. nice tight hundred. Sure. This transitions into two docuseries and I'll focus on one because we're about to, we'll, we'll stick with the corporation corruption and taking away all from right. the everyman theme with... <laughs> Recently dropped uh, Pepsi, Where Is My Jet? Oh, I've seen ads for this. What is this show? Yeah, so... I'm um, kind of keen to see it. Yeah, and to be honest, it, it definitely follows things like the fire format of... Um, I would say fire meets, like, McKay with with the sense that they basically, sh- like, create, like, reenactments of, of the story. They have... Okay. So they follow the story of this promotion that ran for Pepsi in the mid to late 1990s. So when yep. you and I were born, Jake. Uh, Wait, what? In the mid that, to late 90s. That's when I was born? Yeah, you were. But I'm the Jake uh, Anita 3000. Sorry. That's not when oh, I was sorry. born. He's holding on to it. I was born in 2022. Um, <laughs> I you would have missed all this so I can keep you up to date. And yes, Basically, please. it follows the story of this promotion in which... In America, um, you basically, you bought Pepsis, you earned points, you were able to buy, uh, then buy Pepsi products like shirts and sunglasses and stuff. Which is very common nowadays. But this is really interesting and and actually has become a landmark case in um, advertising law Mm. because of fake promises or not using disclaimers, which was a big thing. So they, at first, basically talk about this advertising campaign, how it's created and the first episode. it's a four episode series and it honestly it's really solid like yeah. it's definitely engaging enough um to hold on to it um to watch the whole thing it's a very easy watch but what's really interesting is they create this promotion they show this advertising they show the the head media people at the time working for Pepsi and yep. basically what happened was at the end of this commercial the teenager descends in a in a jet and in a fighter jet, and I can't remember what it's called again. Um, I mean, that's the what they're using as like the advertisement, like the Netflix yeah. front page yeah, imagery. But, uh, yeah, it's a particular type of, of jet, and uh, uh, something carrier. I always forget it's something Tom Cruise probably flown. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's basically so it descends, and it says because it's gone through the ad like shirt one hundred and twenty five points, sunglasses twenty points. Oh, okay. This jet seven hundred thousand points. And oh. there's no disclaimer under the ad. And basically what happens is... So it's is inferring this, that you could literally get this jet with If these you points. acquire 700 points. Okay. 700,000 points. This is such a Jake show. Yeah. Oh my God. And what happens is this 20-year-old <laughs> uni student goes... Who's a... He's done like mountaineer climbing. Yeah. And he has like... One of his friends that he took mountaineering is a very wealthy businessman. Goes... We can afford this because this jet on the market goes for thirty million, right? So it ends up being way cheaper by buying these Pepsi's. Yeah. Okay. So, and then, so at first gets to like gets turned down, but then he reads in the back catalogue if you like return ten of them, you get twenty five points. So it ends up actually going from seven hundred something like going from seven mil sorry going from like seven million down to seven hundred thousand for this jet. Yeah. Wow. In in money, like it's incredibly cheap. Like, it's just a massive loophole. And the whole thing yeah. is that then, you know, this leads to this, they literally send the check in the mail 
like we want to buy the jet because under your <laughs> and of course they joke <laughs> rip that's, up the sh- that's but amazing. they go no we're, we're serious yeah. and then this leads to like a multiple year lawsuit over this guy being like just exposing this this advertisement for not having the disclaimer yes yeah. you no. can't legally and they led to things like government reforms where they were basically saying you can't buy one of these without the armaments on it or, yeah. but the reality is it's like it didn't say that they went back and reshot they redid the ad and put just kidding um on it <laughs> you like, can't it, do that but it was and then it <laughs> unveiled that this is not the first time pepsi's messed up with one of these promotions oh my god it gets in deeper. the philippines they go and run this promotion where they basically got like golden ticket bottle caps oh yeah that, that was a frame today was willy wonka in the chocolate factory oh well, nice there you go nice um, little tie-in so it ends up being um like one of these things where it's like oh well for these filipino people mm. um if they win, like they get the right bottle cap, they win a million, a million of their money. Right. Yeah, I think it's um, their current, whatever, whatever the currency, their currency is. is, which is about forty thousand US. Which for a third world country, forty thousand oh, yeah. US. I mean, even here in a first world country, that's a lot of money. That's yeah. a good amount of money. So, but turns out printing error leads to way too many people having this golden ticket. Oh, that's Pepsi, excellent. Pepsi flips back on it, leads to these <laughs> massive riots. But it's like one of those things you start to go, wow, these promotions. You'll never look at these promotions ever ever the same. Cause no, no. Basically, this one clerical marketing error for this one led to this whole multi-year thing. And they didn't, like, you know, I won't spoil how it goes, but it's so Yeah, I engaging. really want to see this, yeah. Um, and it's that sort of, like, the, the, the David versus Goliath, the corporation versus the, the everyman. And basically, a result of these big fat cats, these people working in these big corporations... Um, being undone kind of by their own ego. Because mm. the whole thing was apparently the guy who directed the ad originally had in the thing 700 million points, which would have made them safe. But because of the executives saying that's too long a number, yeah. they reduced the zeros <laughs> and created this problem. Oh my God. This is a lesson to all clients out there who want their videos edited. Just let us do our thing. Yeah. Just stop meddling. You'll be happy in the long run. It's a message for them, Zeke. It's a very, it's a very interesting. Has a good mix of like hyperbolized cutscenes, and mm. uh, they get like younger actors to play the characters, but they do like cool warping things where they like, oh, okay, they take the person in the real day doing the interview and they morph it with the person that then ends up. Playing oh, okay, them in the little tower esque. Yeah, interesting. Manip- not manipulation, but the way they portray well, interviews. Definitely making it more direct. Like, this person yep. is this person. Yep. You're basically now watching this, to be honest, would be a very American Animals-esque? Movie. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. It's a good mix. Um, and that was really cool. I will say, I, I await the day when I get enough Red Rooster royalty points to... Uh... Or Nando's, we have that too. Yeah. Nando's points. That's actually quite common now, Z, considering yeah. all the kerfuffle that's happened here. Yeah, but there's also a lot of disclaimers at the bottom now. That is true. It saves you. But it's really interesting, you know. And then the final thing I watched was another docuseries mm. about corporate corruption. But this follows a little bit more relevant, obviously, currently. We are now in the first day of the 2022 Qatar World Cup. And ah, yeah, this is all over the news, isn't it? Yes, and I, I did watch now. FIFA Uncovered, obviously, which follows the federation, uh, the football federation, or f- what is it, football international federation, whatever it's called. FIFA! FIFA. Just call it that. FIFA! 
who follows the history of creation and basically the the way capitalism and corporal greed just seep their way into a once sacred mm. completely um objective association um and this happens over the course of um you know the a president that gets elected an argentinian president that gets elected in the late seven uh, the mid 70s and moves into um he's only been active up until like recently but right. was also the reason why russia and qatar got world cups in 2022 and 2018 over the uk and the us yeah. because essentially he basically the the docuseries goes over how this massive the biggest um corporation arrest for white collar crime happened in 2015 and it basically shows the whole voting system and how things like each country gets one vote to decide where the world cups go but obviously world cups can do a bit of under the table money mm. to sway votes and then on top of that, there are associations like in like the American Association where the Caribbean islands are 30 different countries. So they have 30 votes versus Germany only has one vote. Yeah. France only has one vote. So then it ends up being these big swing states in areas that would never host a World Cup. Right. But they can capitalise on the power of their vote. And it's mm. truly remarkable you watch this systemic corruption um, which eventually, you know, comes to a head. But you sort of sit there and go, wow, you know, this is the biggest sporting organisation on the planet. And there's no doubt there's influences. You know, we've, it, like you said, all the Qatari-based news, the banning of alcohol at the event, mm -hmm. the, uh, the fact that a lot of the labourers building the stadiums, like, there was a lot of deaths in building that. And really? Yeah. It's, Jeez, I didn't even hear about that. It's really bad. And you'll sit there and you go, well, surely this this country that's like embedded in the middle east no one's really heard that much about how sure. did they get the world cup from the u.s like, it was actually me zeke yeah i got paid big money to but let it's that truly, happen it's remarkable how that sort of stuff works and what that can leave from an economic point of view how much richer that makes other people by proximity yeah. and you know it had that very succession-esque um, vibe. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be season four. <laughs> it's about the, By the World, World Cup. Cup. Oh, Lord. But that's all I watched in this week. Yeah, no, that was a theme and a half. Yes. Well done. Capitalism. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a good theme. And, and hey, it went off Dragon's Den quite well, so I salute you for the uh, the segue. Now, uh, yeah, that's really it. I mean, I, I might as well... You've seen the 1930 version of All Quiet on the Western Front. It was actually yes. episode 180... When we did Gone with the Wind is when you watched it oh, in alliance go. with the 30s discussion of that week. Um, so, And it was actually quite interesting listening back to what... Sometimes I do listen back to our podcast, mm -hmm. specifically specifically for that reason, because I was I saw it and I had my thoughts, mm -hmm. and I listened to your thoughts, and I was like, yeah, I, I can totally see where you came from here. And um, Yeah, so go back, listen to that. Very interesting. And uh, now I can inject my thoughts on that in addition to the 2022 yeah, film. But before we do any of that... Uh, might as well bring up career updates because we've been waiting weeks, Zeke. <laughs> been waiting weeks for this confirmation. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's happened. You got, I think I think it was. I probably won't disclose too much information, no, but I will you don't be. Have to. I will be employed next year as a media, as a media teacher <laughs> at a school that I'm very happy to be working with. Very but that's, good. Well done. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a couple of weeks, but uh, it's been a long, long, long haul. Just two years. Yeah. I'm about to graduate next month, hopefully. So. That's crazy. Um, 
Big times, five years. You better um, you better sign that paper before the <laughs> before the exam results come in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. It's, and I'm yeah. Obviously, you get really excited because you're sort of like, now I can get to work. And yeah. Um, Zach, you are someone in the film industry who has a full time job. That's a weird. Like that's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's so common that's a weird <laughs> in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah. Got to get back into the film industry more now. That's that's the switch yeah. of energy. You know, there obviously you 25 yeah, in the last week. It. Sit down and be like, what are the next uh, five five-year goals to hit? And Yeah. Because there's no more degrees. So No more degrees. Um, got to stop yourself from getting all those degrees. No more hex debt. I got the one up there. Yep. One little degree there. It's cute. It's yeah. a cute one. Yeah. Back to back to editing, but you yeah, know I got it. to read your script in the last week, mm, which was really cool. Yeah, um, I had read it before, but it was nice. To you read the latest and latest. greatest version. It's very spicy. Yeah, no, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it's very exciting. Burning sensation. To Finger. It. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Mid January. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep see. tabs on that one. Yeah. Oh, and I, and I showed Lou disconnected for the first time. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a career update. <laughs> Why did you do that? Because it's, you know, it's like one of those things. Hey, you want to see me acting? <laughs> yeah, it's true. You, uh, played, you played waiter and patron. In the same scene. <laughs> in the same scene. I can't remove myself from knowing that. I wonder how many people actually generally didn't know that. Who watch... I think there's 99% of people who have seen this film know us all personally. Yeah. So that makes it a little tricker, trickier. It is a it is a great cult classic. <laughs> it's gonna be the cult classic. Well, now I got my brand new spanking computer with my i nine CPU. Worth the brag. Worth the brag. Got to get in there. The sixty four gig DDR five RAM. So and and the Blu ray four K Blu ray disc that's drive. More, uh, that's more career updates we've had in in a hundred episodes. <laughs> there was, I mean, what you just said is probably the biggest career update of the show. Period. Yeah. You're, you're you're a media teacher, Zeke. Can you believe it? <laughs> Mr. Morgan Hine. Mr. Morgan Hine. I'm gonna I'm gonna take some lessons with Zeke. <laughs> I wanna yeah. I wanna uh, you know it's one of those things I, you kinda wish that you could like have some people sit and watch you teach. Like Well I know I know what your um I know what your like firm teacher voice is. Because you yell at people in the cinema the same way you yell at disrupt, <laughs> disruptive little boys. Doesn't doesn't change. Doesn't change. <laughs> The worst part is trying to switch it off sometimes. Oh. Like, I feel like sometimes I talk to my friends in a teacher voice. <laughs> I mean, they act like kids, but... Oh, well, know. there you go. Yeah. No, it's it's been... It's really cool. I'm really looking forward to it next year. And mm. it's nice. It allows me to, uh, you know, sort of get acclimatized, get all the paperwork sorted, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's um, get to working. Yeah. Which is one of those things, you know, the dream is obviously to be teaching during the week and then work on films on weekends, work on sure. productions, have access to productions, maybe not always be right on the front lines of them, mm. but at least be always in proximity to them. Because yeah. that access and having people being able to bring industry professionals in mm. um, is is pretty invaluable resource. Yeah, especially as students. Uh, I mean, I think, about, I think about my high school media class and like the closest we ever got was we had someone come in to help film what help he he was basically directing and shooting the whole thing a commercial about but the water system at our high school mm. some some odd thing like that but even just like him bringing in more than one lens yeah was like wow look at this this is amazing oh or even bringing in lights yeah. you know that was like fascinating so it was like 
when I think about high school compared to uni, it's a, the the jump was drastic in terms of here's like real world experience, people coming yeah. in. Um, so I think that's going to be really invaluable to students. But it's good for you as well because you're going to have that connection to well the connection to the youth seek. Yeah, because it's I mean it's all those I, that, creative minds. Well, it's a big that's a big part of frankly film audiences is what are teens watching. Yeah, I mean that might be the hardest demographic to pitch to to make for. Absolutely. So it's to create buy-in for too. Yeah. I mean it's it's interesting, you know. It's it's sort of like you know, and this does tie back to that capitalistic theme I'm through lined this mm. week. But you know, the financial incentive too is becoming more and more. Um, prevalent in yeah. what teenagers are drawn towards, mm-hmm. and it existed when we were in high school. But I like I had friends that were like, I want to be an accountant because they make ninety grand to start off with a year. Right. Then they get a year and a half through the university degree and go, not for me. See you <laughs> later. So then they've been, they've basically wasted fifteen grand on dri- being driven. So it's mm. creating that emotional investment that then leads to the commercial benefit because we all sure. got, we all got bills to pay yeah um, we do <laughs> um but you know i got overly expensive young computer parts it's the greatest for. time ever you're getting a free ride from your parents and you know, you're, <laughs> you're you're full of creativity because you see the world so differently mm. yeah yeah i mean i'm talking to the guy who's trying to put together a full-blown tv series and yeah adolescent school, that was years, true so. um what a throwback yeah but it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. I actually we watched Disconnected and then I right. started the Q and A. Oh, that's the other reason you showed it. Yeah, just to watch the Q and A. Starring Zeke Morganard. No, that's fair. Um, all right. Well, I guess it's time for us to move into our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching this week on the show? Zeke, we're watching All Quiet on the Western Front. Wieder mehr als 40.000 Tote allein in den letzten Wochen. Es ist vorbei. Im Namen der Menschlichkeit, ich bitte Sie um den Waffenstillstand. Vous avez 72 heures pour accepter nos conditions. Ich werde nicht kapitulieren. Meine Mutter wollte nicht, dass ich in Krieg ziehe. Paul Bormer and his friends, Albert and Muller, egged on by romantic dreams of heroism, voluntary enlist into the German army, full of excitement and patriotic favour, the boys enthusiastically march into war they believe in, but once on the Western Front, they discover the soul-destroying horrors of World War One. Ah, oh, well, can't be that bad. I'll tell you, I reckon WW One, great like set piece for war mm. compared to 
Two's great now, and uh, I love no no. Two's great from a media perspective. It's not great in terms of uh, atrocities point of view. It's, it's... You're like I prefer the original. The sequel wasn't. No, as... I mean I mean like it's very interesting, right? Because I feel like it ebbs and flows. Which war gets more media attention by the decade? Like right. I feel like the '90s heavily leaned into World War Two with Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List. Yeah. Band of Brothers, um, you know, basically just Spielberg. <laughs> They're just all Spielberg. Um, but it's interesting that how it ebbs and flows. But I found this film was interesting because, I mean, it's an interesting premise to tell a story from the German side in a, in a sure. war that's a little bit more ambiguous in who's the good and who's the mm, bad. Yes. Whereas if you take World War Two or even Vietnam, there's very clearly parties. The narrative sort of cemented. There's more polarizing. Yeah. They're, 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 yeah. Obviously, there's you know, and we've like I said, we've there are films like Schindler's List that outline that not every German was banned in World War Two. Mm. So it's wrong to polarizably, like polarizingly, subject an entire the, nation, an entire yeah. nation to the actions of just. A majority of them, but yeah. it's well. There's a great, great, great conversation happens in the original 1930 version where the soldiers are sort of gathered around a tree, talking about how does war even start, and they pretty much narrow it down to, like, oh well, the countries are offending each other. He says, oh well, how can a hill in Germany offend a you know a, a grass patch in France or whatever the line was? And I was like, well, they're individual people, mm. the individual people that represent the entire country mm. and go to war on their behalf. It's a fantastic piece of dialogue. That yeah, scene. well, there's multiple really fantastic... The 1930 yeah. version, you know, and it's like you said, I, I reckon there are... If you, there is the perfect war film between the two, if sure. you pick and choose. If you got to pick them in as two isolated pieces, which one I think is more prominent, which one's more accessible, um, mm. and even which one... I actually still think which one that actually has more thematic and poetic resonance is still the 1931. Mm. Because... I don't disagree with you. Because of really well-thought-out dialogue. Now, obviously, the, the benefits are, like, these are German soldiers. Mm. Why are they speaking English? Now, we know that's a product of the time. Yeah, so, and and what's interesting as well as what I was reading is because it is one of the first talkies ever, and they, they basically shot it with two cameras attached. It was like the room. Yeah. And one was for the the English sound version, and the other, which I'll just quickly check, they called it the international sound version, which distribution for non-English speaking areas. Mm. So yeah, you're right. Pro- product of the times and how early talkies and and film mm. with sound was in its development, they had no choice but to just do an English version that would appease the masses. Yeah. And you're right, now there's a bit more of the authenticity of... And we are more accepting of foreign language films, mm, yep. like, especially in the last, I think we've come a long way, and obviously a post-parasite world, I think that's sure. really, really accelerated the mainstream consumption of foreign language film. Mm. Um, because it broke through that, that, that ceiling, and you know, we're obviously more inclined to watch foreign language. We don't really care if it's in foreign language or it's... Uh, but even this year, mm. I mean, arguably up until this point, you know, we were talking with Jack last week, but it's like everywhere, everything all at once mm. is, um, you know, obviously it's... I think it's probably skews to foreign language. I think it still sits in the foreign language percentile with how 
much foreign languages in it. Oh, it's very. It's hard, it's hard to put a percentage. Well, they do have to, to put it. A percentage it is, from it, an award point of view. Isn't yeah, it's 50, true, but I, I don't think that's been submitted as internet because that, that was shot in America, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the whole film. So maybe it's like, but one of those things where it's like this. But I, I know what you mean in the sense of like the, there is a big part of the film that isn't in English. There's quite a lot of, re- especially in the first third of the film. Mm. Um, and that is something that, you know, when I took Kersias, and this is when we're pretty early into dating, and I said, oh, by the way, like a lot of the opening of the film isn't in English. So you're right, there's still that almost like a warning yeah, same people. You just don't know, yeah, where the barrier lies. But yeah, I mean, this film, you know, the twenty twenty two version is entirely in German. Mm. Um, and obviously that's for you know shot in the Czech Republic. Was that what I read? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I read that. Which? Yeah, it was. I'm reading that right now. Shot so in you've, March um, you've watched a, a little bit of of Edward Burgess films prior right like you've watched your honor oh that's a series. no i haven't i haven't oh. watched that i forgot that that was him yeah brian cranston starring i just always go under the assumption that you've watched anything with cranston in it. <laughs> no well, my mum loves that show she's been begging me to and season two comes out very soon so and now it's really good time one of the directors it. on that so i think he might direct an episode or sure um yeah or he's a co-creator yeah. can't say I'm, I'm familiar with any of his other um films but it is quite enticing and in- intriguing that he's taken on such a an ironclad um, masterpiece of, of mm. cinema. It's very yeah. bold, very brave. Well, yeah, um, this is inevitably going to be compared to the, the 1930... Yeah, a lot of people call it a masterpiece. And I think what this film has an advantage to... And I, w- I don't want to be unfair to anyone who's listening to the podcast mm. who's only seen the 2022 version. I know people who have... Um, my recommendation would be to watch the 1930 version as well because I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of themes that I think are really, really clear and, and poignant in the original that are in this film to an extent but are sort of muddled. And I think the greatest example is that this film relies not only in its horror but its storytelling visually. And now it's a visual medium. Mm. It should. But I think that's the biggest difference between the original and, and this is that this film focuses wholly on making you completely horrified by what you're seeing through the visuals and the visuals alone. Mm. Uh, while the original, I think, does a much better job at showing not just the... Um, the the what, What's the word I'm looking for? Like, the, the disenchantedness mm-hmm. of war to the kids, but also their naivete. Yeah. Through their actions and their dialogue and the way and that they... I would have to say, the, the, the dialogue delivery in the original, and I'm not even talking, oh, just because it's in English, but no, I'm, I'm, my thing is, it's the way... The, the dialogue scene, the the big one that I got straight off the bat that I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to like this film as much, okay. was the the original school address by the principal and mm. how in the first, the 30 version, it's in a classroom. Yes. Um, and it's a teacher delivering it to the students. Mm. Whereas in this new version, it almost sets the precedent for the scope and the size that this film New right, it's like iteration. a spiral staircase. There's way, 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 way more characters. Yeah, way more students. It feels way less personable. The teacher is being backed by a, a, a plethora of old men behind him. Sure. And you sit there and go, okay, this film is going big. And you can kind of tell even with the opening crawl when we go through the, the battlefield and we see the, the shots being 
um, the the, sh- the shirts and the boots were being like repurposed and restitched, and mm. which I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's really it's a fantastic good. scene that encompasses a lot of what the original does in terms of like the resource management and like how soldiers are treated as fodder and pawns in a wider mm. systematic game. And this film does that visually yeah. in a really cool way. But I'm with you with the way they changed the classroom scene because the original, I, I was blown. I was like, this is incredible. It's the way, really good. The way you the start out on cam- the street. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the floating, we can talk about the camera in the original because it, it puts it puts Citizen Kane a run for its money, I'm telling you, yeah. in terms of like innovation at the time. But you start out in the crowd and everyone's like chanting, you know, for the fatherland. They're all excited and proud and patriotic to go to war. And then, yeah, the camera sort of like rolls back into this classroom where it seems at first like this professor, this teacher is trying to scream over the chants as if, you know, there's no room for logical thinking or thought until you realize he is also telling the kids mm. to go to war. I think it's more personal too, like the teacher addressing the students individually in a classroom yep. setting. Whereas when the dialogue's different, like he's obviously singling out the same sort of students, but yep. because it's such a bigger group, you're like, why is he singling out these students? Like we mm. don't really, we don't get the same association right. um, that we do in the original where it's like this teacher has been with them for years. So he's a mentor. He's a trusted yeah, advisor. Of course they're going to listen to him. Yeah. Um, we don't get that same sort of with the with the bigger scope and it's also like i said when i say it's such a precedent it's because this film's obviously budget is drastic even adjusted for inflation okay they do so much more with the camera in terms of like the trench sequences like how like you know the the big one takes with like mm. people running you know obviously it's like what i think this film is is basically it's taking the best some of the best aspects of dunkirk some of the best aspects mm. of 1917 and pushing them together <laughs> and you get this sort of film where yep. you see these big long takes where we're watching like you said we're basically we're doing it just to grasp the destruction the chaos yeah there are some wide shots in this film that are phenomenal yeah. at showing the, the the scale and the horror especially mm. you know the wides up above when you're seeing the flamethrowers being used by the french and mm. like those shots are just incredible and even the yeah. use of color and the different shades but, of dirt but yeah i was gonna say well yeah. i was gonna say my criticism with that was in the same one with 1917 is sometimes it's like it really does feel like style over substance like right i you become very attached to these kids and they express from the very beginning how naive they are. Yeah. And we actually watch them do training. And that's yeah, nothing. That's they another key skip difference. Skip the training. They um, know how to sing and sink right off the bat. Yeah. We're, we're in the trenches by minute 18. Yeah. And I remember that in the fact that this film starts with in an in-media res scene where we start in the trench and then go back in time. It kind of just felt like it was doing it all too quick. Yeah, maybe it was all way too quick. Yeah, it felt is this like. not simply is this a is this a war film with characters in it and the other one's a character film set in a war setting? Like do we follow yeah. I feel like we follow Bormer's evolution in the 30 version to this cynical survivalist. Yeah. That, that you know great creates a great affinity for his sergeant for his non you know his NCO, his non-commissioned yep. officer, but organically and naturally yep. and we get brief moments of reprieve and there is a really, it's a really heartwarming moment when they meet each other again after he's been to hospital and he goes back out on the line and when he, you know, inevitably dies, mm. it, you feel it. Like, I think that evolution is, is just so clear. Whereas yeah. in this one, it's like, you know, we're they almost kind of seem like mates. Yeah. More than that mentor student relationship yeah. that the first one just nails. 
Like, it is heartbreaking when that, that second bomb goes off. And sure, you can argue it, it's it's nicer that you don't know the immediate moment where he dies, but the fact that he's still carrying him through this war-torn land, not realizing he's already dead, yeah. that's very effective. Yeah. And, you know, the, it's effective in the 2022 version as well, how he dies, and it is slightly different, and yeah. they establish it where they keep breaking into this specific place to get food. Like, it works, but I... I think, and it goes to the point we're talking about with these remakes, these adaptations, if you're going to change something, and from my understanding, the 1930 version is like almost word for word adapted very faithfully from the mm. book. So it's almost like that's the version that respects the book and this one's like the version that wants mm. to streamline the storyline and rearrange things. But the way it rearranges things, most of the time, I'm like, I don't know if this is more effective than in yeah. the original. If it wasn't it, for the updated visuals. And it, to be honest, it's it's my critique I hold with something like what Mendes did with 1917, where mm. I go, wow, this is a triumph of set pieces, of cinematography. Like, what Deacons has done with it is fantastic. Yeah. But all I'm watching is two soldiers that don't really create much of an affinity for each other. Like, they're not close. Um, right. Like... Well, they sort of subvert your expectations where it's... The film's not really about the two of them. After yeah, it ends a very up being short it's a set time. it's a set piece film, mm. um, which I that was something I we never actually did nineteen seventeen properly on this show. Yeah, but did you watch it in America? I did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, so Canada. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So yeah, we never really had a proper sit down. Let's discuss this film. Yeah. We sort of once you came back, we were getting into Parasite and, mm. and other films, Uncut Gems and all that. But what I loved about 1970, and I, I love it a lot more than most people do, most people I talk to aren't huge fans of it, is that it almost feels like an anti-war film film. In the sense that most war films like this and like many others, like Gallipoli, for example, are, is about mateship and kinship and relationships. And 1917, the guy's alone for the majority of the film. Hmm. And I kind of liked it because it, it did feel different in that sense. But I get the, I get the scale, I get the video game argument, I get all that. Yeah, it's fine. We don't need to <laughs> yeah. get it's into that. Um, it's, it's it's Nathan Drake goes to World War. One. <laughs> um, but no, it, and it's interesting. It's like for me, it's not always about the the mateship thing. I love that in Gallipoli, right? But Gallipoli takes its time. It builds its character. It's a very That's another much a example of it. Like leads you into the horror very slowly. It doesn't in media res the thing. It doesn't reveal its ending at the start. Yeah, and I think I think this film could have done with that same pacing this film also does uh, another different thing mm. it actually goes full macro in the sense that we follow what it's like in the capital city okay so the berlin yes. side of things how it goes we go from the front lines away from the front lines mm. we go back to the capital we go to berlin where we follow zemo's storyline mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i'm glad you mentioned that um I really don't know if I... I do not care for it at all. Yeah, no, I just... I think the first person narrative that the original held that the book holds... Because mm. that's the whole thing, is it's based... I think there are a few names changed, but the book is very much a first-hand accounting of what the soldier went through in World War One. The biggest difference being that he obviously is alive at the end to write the book in real life. That's mm. I guess that's like the main key difference. But you're taking away the first-person view by having this like preview look and... And I think the film does say, I did he did he also write this in addition to directing this? Because say for example, if you know, I'm, I'm going to put a hypothetical. I I made this film. I directed it. If I directed this film, 
but I was given this script and I couldn't change it. And from that standpoint, I think it does what it needs to do in the juxtaposition where their offices and the train and all those settings are so much cleaner. They're being juxtaposed with the dirty grittiness of what the soldiers are having to go through, the conversations and, and what they mean for the for the widest set of soldiers, the fact that they're way more um, hygienic and just a tiny little mark on their shoes and their right to scrubbing it off as opposed to the dirt that the soldiers go through. I get the juxtaposition visually they're doing. Again, visually, great stuff. I just don't know if I needed or wanted any of that mm. in what I thought was a first-person narrative. Yeah. To answer your question, um, obviously, mm. in addition to the original writer, Eric Maria Remarque, yeah. um, you had Le- Leslie Patterson and Ian Stokel, who are credited okay. as also writers. And for both of them, it's their only writer's credit. So Interesting. clearly, um, I would I would assume that is where the intervention has happened between the director and, and those two writers, that they've wanted to create that more wider scale create Mm. almost protagonists in the war room situation where you've got people that are like like i said like zemo's character um (laughs) trying to actively stop the conflict and reach a reach a um a settlement and then obviously out of sheer patriotic pride they're they're pushed onto war and and obviously i'm saying that's not true but like you said it does take away that that personal flavor it actually makes you more removed from your main characters because we're having to cut to these other characters that really have no stake in the story Mm. um you know we're really following the journey of a couple of young teenagers and their loss of innocence and tragic nature very it's a nigh identical story to gallipoli it is which is ironic because that's the australian uh, perspective on the same war yeah so yeah really interesting comparison Um, there in which Gallipoli, every time it shows people of authority, it shows them in clueless states. And only mm. do we see people in authority that were still on the battlefield but removed far enough away that when that final sequence happens with the running... Oh, Peter Weir. How good yeah. Oh, my... It's just so oh good. Doesn't... Yeah, we could talk about Gallipoli. And and it's funny because I'm going to make another comparison. I'm shocked we haven't made this comparison yet. It's actually funny because it, it, it went back into the number one spot, highest rated letterbox film of all time is come and see, which I think in terms of the effect it's trying to have on its audience mm. as an anti-war film, trying to shock you with its horrific story and visuals, that's the, easily the best comparison I can make. And that film doesn't take the time to cut away to the wider scope of what's happening. It's very much locked into the headspace well, of our protagonist. You, you just don't gain anything from, you know, and I and I look at, like, as someone who's a, who is actually a really big fan of this sort of subgenre. Mm. And I think some of the most potent and poetic stories come from it. Yeah. You know, I look at what Spielberg did with with Band of Brothers and how he focuses on just one company of men for, mm. like, 600 minutes. And yep. it's like the affinity and attachment you get to that. The whole point is that that's residual. And they do take a risk when they get to the Pacific. They start following, because the Pacific's a little bit more spread out, they start following multiple people. Mm-hmm. But obviously, because it's still from the person's perspective, you never lose that. You get attached to that character. Yeah. That character either meets a tragedy or survives the war. And, um, you know, there were different circumstances when they're in the Pacific because there's so many different environments and stuff. But I think that it's this going back to command. Um, if it's not like on the field. It was very odd because, mm-hmm. we yeah, we see the, the dog tags and I guess that's effective, but... In the not, not ten minutes later, are they in a warehouse where we see a 
mass load of bodies. Like, yeah. do we need to see the dog tags? Does it? Are we? Are we trying? What we're trying to do in that scene is obviously show the the weight and resonance that certain political leaders feel for their actions. But sure. I mean, to even bring it back to Succession and this weird comparison, it's like the ending of the pilot where they're all messing around with this kid. If he can do the home run, he they will give him a million dollars. And what you realize in the last shot of that show is like, oh, how important would it have been to this average family who are living in an apartment that can't afford a home? How important a million dollars would have been? And the higher-ups that had that authority, had that ability, just didn't care. It was a joke. And I, they're going for a similar thing here where I don't think these authorities quite understand how many deaths are mm. going to happen under their leadership and under this, you know, they're going to wait another six hours because they want to wait to the 11th hour, the 11th day. And I get... Ultimately, that's probably what they wanted to do was tie the deaths, you know, of arguably our two lead characters mm-hmm. um, with Paul and with Kat on, on the countdown where we're literally counting down the hours until the 11th hour. Yeah, when, creating that Gallipoli mm, sort of time emphasis. Where that, it's, I wonder when they said at the end, like, oh, 15 minutes until... I wonder if there was 15 minutes left in the film. I was meant to check that. That would have been neat. But I don't know if that was quite as effective because... I think anything that is taking me away from, like, the, the personal story of, like you said, the loss of innocence between yeah. these kids, anything that distracts me from that and thinks of the wider events of war where I start forgetting about numbers and dates and, and history that has played yeah. out, I get a little taken I, away from the story. I think the reality is, if you were to sum it up, it, this is a, a good-to-great film mm. that is taking some of the best aspects from war films of the particularly the last 20 to 25 years right i would say i mean obviously and then basing it off a 92 year old <laughs> no, well, 95 year old book or whatever right um and because that's what i get out of this i see all of these these sort of little bit of nolan in there a little bit of mendez a little bit of spielberg and yeah a little bit of weir i mean like that whole scene with the time it's like well that's the whole emphasis of Gallipoli, but Gallipoli is so it just layers time throughout right. the film. So when you get to the end with the with the watch, it's so you're so worried and concerned mm. at that point. Whereas the this one, it just felt like oh, we'll put that reference in there too. It, it didn't create the same tension, I don't think. Because the like you said, yeah. in you take the thirty film when when Paul's carrying, um, I think he's called Cat in that one. He too. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for Miles because he. Doesn't really can't accept he's dead. Yeah, and that is such a, a powerful and it's from a shrapnel piece. It's from a, mm. it was it was something that couldn't be controlled. It was the wrong place, wrong time, which sure. is sort of the whole point of the 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 film. And goes to Paul's speech in the classroom at the end of the '30s version, where he says, "Pretty much all you do is try not to die. It's all you're really doing in this world." Yeah, and 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 obviously. By creating these like these larger scopes, so you got these people that are ignorant or too prideful, and they keep throwing off like innocent people away. Whereas you've got the people that feel a bit of the weight, and you've got those two sides. Mm. It does take away from the personal perspective side because what we're hearing in the '30s version, and for good portions of this, is Paul's story, Paul's perception, yeah. and how his patriotism gets warped into cynicism, mm. and that's so prolific when his teacher comes out to the the battlefield yep. later in the f- the 30s film mm. and is met with berating and <laughs> and cursing yeah and is you know he dies pretty quickly or he cowers quickly right, in yeah. the charge on the church and um we don't get that same sort of uh like 
holding the personal interaction that Paul and the resentment Paul and Kat and those men have for those people back home. Yeah. That we get in the 30s version. It's, it's in a weird way, it's almost more straightforward than that for a film that also goes much wider and has <laughs> scenes that, yeah, go above the soldiers. And- it's like, oh, well, we just basically have to attest all of this down to patriotic pride from two or three powerful men. Well, it's funny because you, you get to the end of the film and obviously, you know, Paul dies in both versions, very different deaths across the two films. And I was telling you off the air that the, the final shot of the original, which actually was a case of, I think they did that in post-production, that mm-hmm. shot. So they literally couldn't get the actor in place. And that's why you only see the hand reach for the butterfly, which is just one of those like, you know, that's an interesting fact, but it kind of led to one of the most brilliant creative decisions you could because that was so effective. Yeah. When he's shot by a sniper in that scene, his his hands go. It's just like everything is completely bleak and hopeless, and now he is dead too. And when I look at the this version, that and you know, I was doing a little reading about the Western Front, and yeah, it turns out there were a lot of battles that still went on after the eleventh hour, which makes sense. It's not just like a <laughs> oh, it's all it's all done now. Yeah, something was signed a million miles ago. It's all done. But so that makes sense to me. But treating it as this countdown and the fact that he gets stabbed literally on the minute it turns to oh and now war's over it just like feels a bit more contrived it feels more contrived yeah it feels like well that obviously is not that can't that that's just too coincidental it's too hollywood it's too hollywood it almost feels which is ironic because it's a german film (laughs) not american but i think because it's just so coincidental it's trying to put this idea of like if only they had just stopped fighting earlier yeah. he could have still been alive but that's implicit that's implied and by putting a literal clock there just to make you feel like crap at the end mm. it's like ugh, it just wasn't anywhere near yeah. as effective for me yeah and it, it doesn't have the same effect as the like like the the use of time with Weir's film with that mm. finale of the whole thing is Gibson's not as fast yeah when he's running <laughs> and that ends up being the thing he wasn't fast enough yeah it, like the the time was inevitable but it's that whole thing where it's like but we carry that. That's a that's that set and forget that three act structure. Where yeah. It's like he was never fast enough, mm. and it ends up being like a tragedy. Which obviously Gallipoli doesn't end on that moment. Like, no, that's, no, that's not implied. It's just the death of our character. Yeah. But which in that film, that's all we care about. Yeah. Are those characters? Yeah. So when he dies, the the story's over. There's not there's nothing left. It's, who cares about what happened to Gallipoli afterwards? Yeah. All we care about is our protagonist got shot in the head. Spoiler yeah. alert for Gallipoli. <laughs> Great film. Watch our, watch our episode. Mate. Yeah. Nah, brilliant. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just... Well, we seem to be on the same page. I think so. And look, I really don't want to bash this film. I feel like I've just been completely critical of it. No. Well, because but... I think it does so few things better than the original did. Even though, it, from a technical standpoint, we haven't even talked about the music yet. That's going to be an interesting I'm discussion. not a fan. Not a fan of music? The what the random drums the <laughs> that almost the bloody el- electro the from Spider Man two the stranger wars but <laughs> not having the same nearly the same effect as what Wright's trying to do it's it's definitely not long way to Tipperary <laughs> it's very it's a very modernized soundtrack for a, a hate film it. that takes place. it's the same thing that Gallipoli does and we critique that in that's Gallipoli. true that is true that was the eighties synth and this what? this was the twenty tens womp. <laughs> I look. I I thought the it was very. The drums was very weird. I thought it was, it was interesting. Yeah, I was really an interesting take. I don't know how effective it was. It makes you a little, you know, 
laced with anxiety, I guess. Like, it, I think it achieves, especially the drums. We sort of feel at unease because the, yeah. the. I don't think the it rhythmic builds the way it should, though. I just think it was repetitive. I will say that. Yeah, it ends up being, and it, get, it sometimes goes in the middle of a dialogue, like delivery, and I'm right. like, "What? <laughs> Something wrong with my speaker?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I. Am I playing a second video through this video? Like, I love when that happens. You're watching two videos at once, and you're, you're so. You're like, this is a weird music. Show. You know what? I noticed so the drag, one of the Dragon's Den clip, the mixing was just like screwed because the music and the dialogue was the same volume. Mm. And I was like, this is clearly not correct. Like, there's something yeah. went wrong in the render. But I, like I said, I really don't want to poop through this movie because I think it gets a lot of technical things. I mean, like the, the cinematography, the choreography. Yeah. It's all absolutely brilliant. Like I said, I think this is the. The performance perfect, is the perfect, Yeah, the perfect reflection of wartime cinema of the last 20 years. Mm. Like this Spielbergian flair that has been obviously taken by Nolan and yeah. taken by uh, Mendez and, and now taken by Berger and and given us this this giant set piece. And I know, I know we actually have a West Australian film being made um, based around the Anzacs. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know what he's talking um, about. What's his name? That... Jordan what? What's his name again? Jordan something? Oh, God. He added me on Facebook. He <laughs> did a film, Decadent and Depraved. It's not Until Dawn. It's um Before Dawn. Yeah. I, how am I Something to do with the Anzacs with Dawn. That it's, that it's... has been in post for a long, long, long time. Looked at, the, just... looked at the, sh- the the shots from I watched the behind the scenes thing, though. Looks pretty... Oh, the, was it a Channel 7 thing? Was... Yeah, it was pretty full on. Yeah, no, I mean, the the set, they, they dug real trenches for pff, God knows how long for it. Like, the production design looks fantastic on it, and they yeah. did the budget. I actually got asked for if I had raid drives, because they, they, um, they were falling behind on the edit. They didn't have, they hadn't started yet, and they needed to start by a certain date. And I had someone ask if I had raid drives for that film. Uh, Jordan Prince Wright is his name. Ah, okay. Sorry. Uh, That's coming out soon, I'm sure. I think it is. Yeah. But yeah, that has been in post for quite a while. Yeah, no, but that, I mean, I, that's that's very exciting too. I wonder if it's going to have the same oomph. But yeah, I think, look, I think with this film, it's it's very impeccably crafted. I do appreciate not only the visual storytelling from, like I said, like when they do their, um, their reshuffling and repurposing all the boots and the shirts. And mm-hmm. again, something that the original film does... Um, in a really interesting way is the way they deal with resource management and the way that the kids are like, oh, if you're an amputee now, I need your boots. Mm-hmm. You don't need them anymore. Give it to me. Like that naivete, that selfishness yeah. is also what really complements that story that they go through, through World War One. But then from a pure shock value sense of, oh my God, this is really horrifying, disgusting, then watch Come and See instead. I think that's still a much more powerful execution of that same idea. There's... There's one shot in there where, <clears throat> and it's interesting because so much of the horror from this film comes from seeing these characters you're grown with, that you like, that your protagonist is friends mm. with, being, you know, completely, their bodies mutilated and destroyed mm. and one's been burnt by the, the flamethrower, one's been bombed and they, they turn him on his side and half his face just looks like horrific. It's hard to even look at. Like, it gets a lot of that stuff there, but there's one shot in Come and See that is just... It's it's a it's a similar thing where it's a character that you know, but who has disappeared from the film for like an hour, mm. and all of a sudden you see this visual of this character, and you can only imagine what like parallel journey they've been on to the protagonist, and it's just, I think that film really nails that 
feeling of, oh my god, this is all so horrific. I can never watch mm. this film again. And this film has horrific imagery, but I think the themes just aren't hitting as they did in yeah. the original. And the fact that there was an original in the first place, you can't help but compare them. Yeah, of course. Would we like to move into highlight scenes? Sure. I mean, I'm trying to figure one off the top of my head. I think I will probably mention the scene when he does kill that French shoulder and uh, soldier in that little trench area, mm. and he kind of has to. He goes through those emotions of stabbing him, realizing, "Oh God, what have I done? Maybe I can save him." And he's just there, you know, choking on his own blood. Like that whole scene, I think this really—that's what you want to do because that scene's in the original, mm-hmm. but nowhere to that extent where it's—it's it's more about the dialogue that's been expressed between them mm. in that scene. Versus here, where he, the French guy's not getting a word out, and it's all—it's a much more visual, horrific representation of what it's like to kill your enemy face to face. So I would say that was a fantastic way to adapt that scene. Yeah, what about, cool. what about you? What's your highlight scene? Um, I actually like. There's a scene that happens about midway through the film, which is really there's two really good, relatively close scenes. It's when they've stopped in the small sort of a small sort of homestead and we have the the french girls moving across the the plains Mm, rather than them sort of you know obviously two i think about halfway through two ways through two thirds through the film they actively actually seduce french Mm. women and whereas this one is definitely more uh cautionary it definitely feels like one character just has the confidence to go along and (laughs) And and but the rest of them are way more uh, sheepish, and it's more about they stay their posts for duty because they're afraid mm. of being sort of court martialed and shot. Where they sort of tap into that side, and I think that's really effective. I think one of the scenes that really cements this relationship between Paul and Kat uh, is actually the the scene where he's reading the letter on the on the toilet. So oh yeah, it's a very powerful scene, and one of the rare moments we really get to see their relationship build because mm. we don't get a lot because a lot of it is observational horror like them sure. going and seeing the the ones who didn't get their gas masks on and yeah and them surviving through the trenches together so we don't get as nearly as much of that relationship and it's definitely got that grain of, of like you said that that it's got that more like cynical depressing like this sucks like they're they're, they're very more critical of each other right. whereas in the 30s version there is like there's a bit of slapstick to it. It's definitely got that theatrical essence to it. Yeah, it, feel, it feels more like a stage play, a theatre. Yeah. The story's broken up into chapters almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's... For me, that helps making them more likeable, though, and more these moments of innocence between which is a really good balance between that and the war. And yeah. I think that would have not it would have been nice to see a little bit more of that honestly it's like cutting thing like mate the 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 scenes they chose to cut the training sequence it's mm. a bit of a head scratcher to me because that helps you build a rapport towards the characters that are you know paul and his friends yeah now, i know a lot of his friends don't really make it past the midpoint of the film um his original <laughs> friends well that that just means but, we skip to their deaths quicker yeah <laughs> you lose a little bit of that um attachment and affinity that the characters have for each other. Yeah, I think when I used the word streamlined earlier, I think I admire the goal because like I said there is an anthology feeling to the yeah. original where like the you know the thing with the free um French girls, 
that kind of feels like its own little chapter. And then we jump to like the hospital chapter where all the characters is in hospital for like 25 minutes. So I mm. like that they sort of streamlined a lot of those events where like the French girl interaction, like you said, it's a little different and it happens a lot earlier in the film and it's sort of a smaller part of a wider story. The fact that they have the scene where they're looking at the, the poster of the couple that happens much earlier in the film and it's also attached to the back of the warehouse. So they're almost like attaching these story beats mm. in the closer proximity just to yeah. streamline the story, even though the running time's longer. <laughs> I should point that out. But I appreciate that effort. But like you said, I think what you lose in it, especially with the immediate res scene, how fast we end up at the trench, that first act feels so short now. Mm. And that was such an important part of the story to really not only know Paul, but know all these other characters and how the relationships Absolutely. develop. So I I really feel like I both of us, I feel like we we're both very harsh on this film for something that is immaculately made. Yeah, it's a good film. But I watching the two back to back, you watched the original a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. You can't help but not compare the two. They're very similar in those ways. And look, it's it's one of those things, right? It's it's perceptile. Is is it fair to judge the, but I think it's because because it's they're both based off the same novel. And this comes yep. back to that really critical part where it's like Okay, they're both based off the same source material. Yeah. So now we're analysing the works not as... We're comparing them as film works from the same source material. Do we like the way that this film told the source material or mm. this way? And then why? Yeah. So there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, when you're, like, really harsh on this film. I think that if I'd watched the 2022 version first and then the 30s version second, my opinion wouldn't change. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I wonder... Do you I, reckon viewing order can affect something that it dramatic? It definitely can affect it. What I'm more curious about, if I can go back in time and watch the newer version first, I feel like the themes were so clear and concise and so excellently portrayed yeah. in the original, and I wonder how much of that I would have been able to pick up on in the second version. Like, yeah, I would understand the resource management of, like, you know, them replace restitching names onto to different and uniforms. Like, I, I would get that, but I feel like the original film set up so much of that resource management idea. The fact that they don't have enough hospital beds for people, they just got to kick them out every five seconds. Mm. Like, it really goes into it so deeply to only reinforce and what the new I one really does. I really think this film's hindered by the fact it's not in a cinema. Like oh my god yeah it's this needed to be and in it's a, a bit of a head scratcher because though it's you know it's a German it's a foreign language film mm. why this is not this is the problem with these streaming platforms is you do not get you know we talked about with the stranger the 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 bit rate and it has a, it doesn't have yeah. too bad a problem here I would say I well, I watched this on my PS5 the Netflix through the app on the PS5 and it looked pretty darn good. Yeah. Like I had zero issues with the bit rate or yeah. so maybe that that's was part of it. That's because there's not a lot of blacks in it. There's a lot of blue. That is true. That is greens. true. And I think that's a lot of great scenes with like flares in the air, very yeah. visceral and um but I will give you that. There's not as many blacks in this. Yeah. Whereas the stranger is like And blonde as well. They're both yeah. A lot so of that's in black and it's white. It's a good film. Don't get me wrong. 100% watch it. I mean, and the one, the, the fact of the matter is, it's tough to say. I mean, I had to give you my DVD for this film. It's not accessible yeah, the 1930s. Yeah. Thank film. you for lending me your DVD. So, but yeah, exactly. That's all right. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, okay. That should be on Netflix too. A lot of people are just going to watch the 2022 version. They'll never watch this version. So it's fair to say you'll still get an enjoyable experience out of it. It, it really depends if you like 
the 1917 style of, of visual gore flair where the yeah. big one takes. And... I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, like, this is how you make a war film nowadays. It has to be this visceral, and, and it is very successful and it's horrific imagery, but when you talk about, like, the scale and scope of it, mm. almost over-the-topness of it at times, yeah. like, it kind of... That's just what a lot of modern war films are these days. Totally. It kind of has to be this kind of film. Yeah, totally. I will say, before we move on to your response of why wasn't this in cinemas, the film premiered at the 47th uh, Toronto International Film Festival in September and played exclusively at the Paris Theatre in New York from October 7. And then apparently went to a few cinemas and then dropped on Netflix. I don't think we got any release of this film here in Australia. So Yeah, well, we got the British Film Festival going right now. So that's yeah. taking up a lot of the lunar um, spots. Yeah. Yeah. And then Black Panther's sapping what's left over. <laughs> of all, I still haven't seen it, so take that for what you will. Apparently it's good. That's all I've got to say. I'm all right. sure it is, Zeke. All Quiet on the Western <laughs> Front is currently out on Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, Jake, mm. can you tell me what's coming new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week? I can. So coming to Netflix, you have The Swimmers, autobiographical film that tells the story of two sisters, Yusra and Sarah Medini who fled as refugees from war-torn Syria all the way to the 2016 Rio Olympics. Wow. So that sounds really cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that. You also got the Tim Burton Wednesday Adams TV show, which drops this week. What is your what is your Adams Family history, Z? I I like Adams Family values. Okay. That's the... I find the... I haven't actually watched... I know there's two from that era, the ones with the Christina Ricci Wednesday. Right. Um, I think there's two. Um, and Values is the second one. I think I've only watched the second one, the Values one. Oh, okay. But that scene when she's talking about Thanksgiving is hilarious. Oh, I, okay. I love watching yeah. that scene. I don't know. Have oh. you caught a lot of Adam's no, Family no. stuff? I mean, the only Adam's Family, to quote Cousin Greg again, IP that I've, <laughs> that I've seen, is actually, and we talked about Evasion a minute ago, one of my actresses from Evasion, in, this is 2017, going way back, played i think she played the mother so wednesday's mother in a stage play mm. of the amateur and what's funny is i was going through a breakup like that day it was that day or the day before and the whole story was centered around a love story for wednesday adams i was like i was like screw everyone man <laughs> love means nothing man yeah. it was good times what else we got uh coming to disney plus we have the guardians of the galaxy holiday special so i guess this officially marks james gunn's return to marvel so how long is it is it like a 30-minute... Uh, I reckon it's a, maybe an hour. Oh, so it's like one of those Shrek Christmas specials. <laughs> uh, this seems And this is a James Gunn... Yes, he directed it. Okay. So, uh, interesting. Paid his dues. Yeah, no. Everyone uh, has short memories. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. He's back in Disney shuffled already. the deck. Isn't he leading DC now? Isn't that a thing that they came out with? Yeah, he's a real flagship with the, the after the Suicide Squad film. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's great. We did that on the show. It's, it's a lot of, a a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, you've also got Elton John's Farewell from the Dodger Stadium. Now, I think this was a live stream event. And I say was because it already live streamed. Live streamed earlier today, Zeke. Oh, okay. But I am sure it is archived. On I'm DC sure it's Plus. good. Yeah. Oh, Elton John, man. I don't He's mind a bit Elton John. I like probably like 10 of his songs, I reckon. That's about, that's about where I it's I was not it. expecting you to... Um, to give to give him a mid rating just then. Yeah, look, I just he's you love Rocket said, Man, man. I love Rocket Man. Don't get me wrong, but Rocket Man's <laughs> a film about <laughs> Elton John. 
I love the Rocket Man. Oh, the film again, that guy's. Uh. <laughs> no, good. good. I would never uh. pay to see him. I think that's the best way to. Like, really? Yeah. I mean, he came to Perth what last year, year before? No, he came the night we went and saw Cat Empire. Really? That was the big problem at the Kings Park one. Yeah. Oh, was that a big problem though? Yeah, because the we couldn't get Ubers. Remember? From oh. Because of it was Mardi so Gras. That's why you hate Elton John, Zeke. No. Because <laughs> it was Pride and it was uh, Elton John. I remember in um Sydney. This was nearly ten years ago. Now we were on the train and there were free events going on. There was the EB Games Expo, which is what I was going to. So you had all the sweaty gamer nerds in the train, nice. along with all the girls going to, it was some like K-pop, some concert, maybe okay. One Direction, some rather, and then there was a rugby game on. So you had those oh, wow. three, you had those three audiences and a train together. It was the best. It was so funny. It must be so weird. <laughs> and they were all in cosplay as well. After. It was the best. It was so funny. Oh God. Coming to binge, you have the Walking Dead, I'm, I'm serious, series finale. This is it. This is it. Last this episode. This is it. Um, 12 hours from now, we should be able to watch on Binge. When did you stop watching Walking Dead? I I think I actually watched the entire Negan season. Okay. So you, I, you, the last thing I saw was... season seven. I think I watched all of season seven, I think. I remember there's the Kingdom, That's where six, Carol, New Carol goes into, yeah. and I remember it ends with Negan about to shoot someone in the face... And then a giant tiger jumps out of nowhere and, and tries to eat him. Uh, really? Yeah, and I that, I stopped watching after that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was several years ago now, Zeke. That was... So yeah, series finale. And they're doing a bunch of spin-offs and everything. I hope the actors... I really hope to God they're making money and not... <laughs> I really, really hope they're not just like so, so, so swindled. sick of this. But um, I had to mention that. Walking Dead series finale. It's It's happening, guys. Uh, coming to Prime, we've got Goodnight Opie, which is a documentary about the rover space robot that roamed Mars. I won't say how long. The logline said how many... Uh, I shouldn't even say that. How long this robot survived, because it was only meant to be three months. It's a little longer than three months. And the trailer looks sad. This looks like the saddest thing. Like a Wally. It's very Wally-esque, but it's real. It's a real robot. Real NASA well, people. Well, look, if you love Wally and you cry at dead robots... <laughs> that's your cup of tea it is your cup of tea it looks great it looks so good you know one of my favourite robot moments mm. is it's not really a robot but it's that moment in District 9 when Victor's in the mech and he looks up at the alien ship and he looks up because he knows Christopher's leaving yep and then he looks down and then it cuts to Victor inside but it's like well, I don't think it does cut to him. I think it holds on the outside because the whole thing is like he's complete. He's nearly completed his transfer. Right, unrecognizable. Right, but it's so good. It's like mm. such a iconic shot. I love it. District Nine's fantastic. It's just amazing. Yeah, still good, still good. We got to do it someday. The best of Blomkamp's uh, films. Yeah, we will one yeah. day. Coming to cinemas, finally, a Bones and All. This is Timothy Chalamet in a story about a blossoming romance between him, the disenfranchised drifter, and a young woman on the margins of society, played by Taylor Russell. So weird. This looks looking. great. Looks weird looking. Interesting follow up to Rylance, isn't it? With Rylance being I think like he a is, weird preacher I guy. I think he is in it. Yes. Yeah. It looks weird. <laughs> it's an interesting follow up to Call Me by Your Name, but um, <laughs> we 
<laughs> no, but it looks great. It actually, I think it looks great. And it's getting good reviews, so. So I'll keep that in mind. We have Seriously Red, which is an Aussie comedy about a real estate agent who decides to become a Dolly Parton impersonator. Hearing this is n- not as great. I think it's tough to top Priscilla, isn't it, really? When you've got the whole... Yeah. The cross the drag the drag queen side. I, so. uh, this, is, this isn't a drag queen, though, because a real estate agent's a woman. Oh, she's a... Oh, okay. I thought it was I, a man. No, 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 no. Okay, so it's just... I mean, she's just, she's just, like, dressing up as... Oh, okay. I guess it could follow the same... I'd like to say it's, like... But I, I wasn't thrown off by your comparison, Rose. though. Yeah, the Wild Rose, maybe? Like, the Scottish film? With the, oh, okay. Uh, what's her name? I always forget her name. Can't remember it now. But she's in... Um, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Oh! Not Jesse Jessie Buckley. Jess Buckley, yeah. Jessie oh. Buckley, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking of Kerry Condon for some reason. She's in the uh, the the Banshees of Inisherin and and, she, and Better Call Saul, and she plays the the robot, Stark robot. Friday. There you go. Man, she's been around. She's been around. Strange World is a new Disney animated film about a legendary family of explorers whose differences threaten to topple their latest and most crucial mission. Yeah. Okay. They're making a national treasure show. That's started. Are they actually? Yeah, it's already. It's, it's coming out. Oh. It's got no Nick Cage in it. Oh. How can you do a national treasure show without Nick Cage? <laughs> They're going to find out somehow. Maybe going to get um, Brendan Fraser in it instead. Isn't he? He's going to boycott the... Uh, oh, the Globes? Globes, isn't yeah, he? Fair enough. No, the Globes suck. You know, there's only 11 people that actually vote for those awards. That's wild. It's Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's, uh, it's like, I mean, it's different because if it was us, we are important. And the Golden Chalk Top Awards should be respected. It's almost a lead award. Yeah, in the film industry. But imagine if it was the equivalent. I'm of still, I'm still waiting on I'm Carney still... to come in and collect it. <laughs> collect the trophy. I mean, Shannon Murphy. Shannon Murphy. Yeah. Who won it last <laughs> like year? Zella, the well, father. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the son's not doing as well. Yeah, so. and the Holy Spirit's got a long way to go. <laughs> and apparently, at Hoyt's, they're screening the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio later this week, okay. which I didn't realize we were getting us a. a Big screen release of this. That is awesome. I'm hearing it is fabulous. Uh, and also Glass Onion, Knives Out Story, there playing at Hoyt's and Luna Windsor later this week. Now, Zeke, mm-hmm. we could jump on the Glass Onion bandwagon, mm. or we can make people just, just wait. Just a little bit more. It's got to wait a little longer. The anticipation. It's a tiny, tiny bit. It's one of those things, right? <laughs> it's not like we've waited 25 years for it. No, we no, we've wait. only waited a few. Yeah. That's not too bad. We haven't waited our whole lives for it. No. From our childhood. We haven't been perpetually 10. No. <laughs> um, and I wish, I wish, but alas, we haven't. But, well, guess what, Jake? What? We're going to recapture that 10-year-old, Jake. Oh. Um, I'm capturing a 10-year-old, Zeke. No. You're re- <laughs> you're, 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 you're re- like, I'm not even going to play this no, game. No, not at all. Mr. Media it's teacher. In- inappropriate. Um, <laughs> no, we're... We're, we're putting ourselves back in our 10-year-old, our inner boy's shoes. Yeah. We're, we're cutting back to the, the toasted TV era. Oh, my cheese, God. Cheese TV. But, Jake, what are we watching next week on the show? Next week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Pokemon, the first movie. Welcome to the stadium 
get ready for the ultimate showdown. Mew versus Mew 2. Bring all your skill. Bring all your courage. The Pokemon match of all time is here. After a scientific experiment leads to the creation of a clone of Mewtwo. I think it's Mew. Mm. And the write-up's the write-up's incorrect. He sets out to destroy the world. Ash and his friends then decide to fraught Mewtwo's evil plans. I've I've heard of this movie, Zeke. Really? Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard of it. Yeah. And uh, I've also seen it a million times, but I, I too have yeah. seen it a lot. <laughs> um this and Yu Gi Oh the movie, on par for me. Maybe Never I- was into Yu Gi Oh. Couldn't care less. Um, obviously, this comes in light of the news of, of Ask Ketchum finally achieving his goal of becoming the very best, uh, becoming world champion. It's kind of fun doing... You know, we've had a couple of really heavy subject matters the last couple of weeks. We have a taxi driver, scum of the earth. Um, mm, stranger, I mean... It's, it's been a... An, an Reservoir Dogs is fun, but it's violent. Yeah. So, you know, a palate cleanser was in order, I think. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, Knives Out, that's a pretty good palate cleanser as well, but mm. this is really, this is a real good cleanser. This is like, um, what's that? There's a game where you wash your car and you can like change between the different modes for your spray. Mm. Well, like you switch between, I don't know what that's called, nozzle switcher? I don't... Yeah, I guess, look, yes. if we were to do Knives Out next week, it would be like having a cleanse by using the, the tap down the road, you know, the old little tap. And this is like using a direct <laughs> hose from the fire extinguisher. Well, not fire extinguisher, the um, yeah. fire hydrant. Just like, bang. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally fair. So, it, we've obviously opted to take on this film, film we've watched a bajillion times, but we'll see when we put it under the critical scope, does it measure up as a quintessential kids movie that I used to get from Blockbuster every week? Could be in your 1100 posters, Zeke. Could be. Could be. Could be. But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Pokemon, the first movie. You gotta catch it.